just a joy to be with you, just a joy to to have a moment where we, in some ways, this this service we conclude what's happened during the growth weekend, and um, I want to talk to you about something. Uh, the sermon is titled "Victorious Living" because that's really the question that we that we're wrestling with, and as a church. You know, if, if, if we're busy with the, the stuff that God is busy with, it just makes church a joy. It makes life, it makes things make sense. And I trust that this presentation will help you. It's a continuation of what we did in Victory Training. So in some ways, it's a session that is part of Victory Training. But I know whether you've walked with God for many, many years, or whether you are just here for the first time, just checking out, I believe it's going to help you. That's Dirk and Mardi. Eli, who out is Eli vandag? How many days is he? Elf days out. And he's in church. Oh man, God bless you guys. Eh? God bless that little champion in that cot. What potential locked up in such a little package. Eh? Yeah. It's great to see you guys. Welcome. Um, friends, we're going to talk about God's plan for the church. And then we're going to talk about God's plan for you in the church. And how you can allow God to work in and through your life and settle you in a relationship that is prosperous, that is, that is, that is full of His grace. Now, I want to take you straight into the scripture and I, and I know it's going to help you in Ephesians 3 verse 8 to 12. Paul is writing here to the Ephesians and he's saying to them, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be, might be made known to the rulers, the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Friends, if we unpack this scripture, Paul is writing to a bunch of Gentiles in Ephesus that got to a place where they found a relationship with God. And he says, what can I do to help you? Now, in many ways, I want to shock you, all right? You are also Gentiles that got saved by the grace of God. Because in the biblical times, if you are not a Jew, you were a Gentile. And that made life quite tough because by your culture, you would be disqualified from what God wanted to do through his chosen people. But then Paul started preaching to the Gentiles and they started grasping the gospel. And churches was planted with a bunch of South Africans, with a bunch of Ephesians, with a bunch of non-Jews. And these people struggled because the Jews had the privilege of having the synagogues and they had the scriptures and they had all the religious foundations that the gentiles didn't have but you know what a privilege that is friends is when you step into a relationship with god without all those religious i would almost want to say rules that define the way that you can worship god you are in a place where you just relate to god on a on a level of grace but god is saying there's there, there's a place in our relationship with god where we cannot just relate to god by the feelings that we had when we got saved, we need to move on and we need to understand God's purpose. And Paul doesn't shy away from it. 
He doesn't shy away from the fact that the church has a purpose. Alright, you having the privilege of being part of a church, with privilege comes purpose. And Paul says, and to bring to light that everyone, uh, for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for, for ages in God who created all things. And then he goes into verse 10 and he says, so that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers, authorities in the heavenly places. Now, there's a few points that we need to grasp, friends, about the church. The first thing is God's plan is not hidden. God does not desire us to come to church without an understanding of what the church is all about. He wants us to understand what this church is all about. What, why, why do we get together weekly? Why do we have connect groups? Why do we, have, why do, we do victory training? There's a purpose behind this. Because as, as God works in you, He wants to work through you. And then, one of my favorite words in the Bible. Because it goes in the face of cultural Christianity. Is the church will reveal God's manifold wisdom to the world. The church will reveal God's manifold wisdom to the principalities and powers. And spiritual opposition that we might face. That word manifold means multicolored, and it is the same word that is used in the word symphony. So what is God's plan for the church? Look around you. Look to the person next to you, quickly. Okay? You can tell them they're looking good today. Alright? You can tell them they're looking strong. And you can tell them they're looking different to what I do. Sydney, we might have the same hairstyle, but we look different, my friend. But it was God's plan from the beginning. God is busy rapturing Sydney and me piece by piece. Okay. He's taking their hair. But, but it's okay. Thanks, Elmero. And then if we stand next to Elmero, man, that's, that's going to be a contrast. But friends, the plan for the church is not that a bunch of people that look exactly the same, that worship exactly the same, that live exactly the same, that just... Man, everything is just so monotone. It's homogenous. It's all my great English words for tonight. Okay, it's not for me. All right. That that you just know what you're going to get when you walk into church. God's plan for the church is that that a bunch of different people with different persuasions, with different ideas, can set their differences aside to do one thing together, and that's to worship God. And think your worship is going to look different to mine. But it's going to be worship. And, 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 and look around. That will be the manifestation of the manifold wisdom of God to this world. There's a scripture that says, They will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Can you worship together is the, is the question. Friends, and as a church, that is the thing that we, that, that we live for. Worship is not just a thing that you come... Worship is not just here where we kind of... You know, we import, we import on YouTube worship leaders. Alright? That is not worship. This is part of worship. The moment in church where we just in song lift God up and give Him the, uh, the praise that He's worthy of. Worship is the way I set out coffee. Worship is the way we set out chairs when we talk about I serve. Worship encapsulates the whole... Of who you are. And that reveals God. 
We see in the scripture that the church is missional. If we take the missional dynamic out of church, we would have never existed. We would have never come to Nelspreit. If we didn't come here to meet people that we've never met. We lived in Ireland for eight years. Linda and I, we lived in, a, in, in my Ireland. It's my Ireland. We lived there for eight years and in Ireland there's a saying that says, there is no strangers in Ireland, there's only people that you haven't met yet. And I think that's such a cool little thing to say about the church. There's no strangers in church, it's just people, it's just friends that you haven't met yet. Because when God sets you together, He sets you together with people that you can, you can take their hand, you can say to them, I might not look the same, I might not think the same, I might not do the same, but I will worship the same. And the value of our worship for God will carry us. And in 30 years from now, we will still be walking together. We will still be loving God. Because the church is missional, friends. <clears throat> one, of our, one of our leaders in, in, I think it's one of our Nigerian Every Nation churches, he once preached the message, Morris, Pastor Morris. Morris preached the message and he said, is the life that you're living worth Christ's death? That's quite profound. That's in your face. Is the worship you're giving to God in relation, if you compare it to what Christ did on the cross, does it reflect that power, that, that unity, that commitment? Friends, that's the church that God, that's the church that Jesus died for, you'll see now. So the church is missional. So what we do as a church pertaining to what is happening in Gabon is important to God. And I tell you, you will never be able to outgive God. I don't know if God is stirring you to give to Stacey Albertine, to give towards the church plant there. You are not giving to a couple that has a need. You are giving to a vision of a nation discipled. When you give your tithes and offerings to the church, you are not giving to a church because we want to, ooh, we want to maintain the Every Nation logo. Ooh, what's the lady brand bow? That's not what it's about. You're giving in worship, and in worship, you're saying, God, I agree with the purpose of being missional. Lord, I agree with the fact that my colleague who doesn't know Jesus needs to know you because without you, he will never have peace. He will get divorced. He will destroy his life. He will destroy his wife's life. Lord, help him. Father, I will pray for him. I don't know how to reach out to him, but he matters God. And I say to you, I want to say to you, if you touch that aspect of God's heart, there is nothing that God will withhold from you. You think you know life without being missional. You, you will taste God when you start reaching out to lost people, friends. It's a joy and it's a, it's a privilege to be involved with this purpose of God. The way I'm preaching now, I'm never going to get through my sermon. All right. Okay, who lots it now? It's fine. We see here that the church's purpose will be opposed. All right. What does the scripture say? Let's see. All right. That the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers, authorities, and uh, in the heavenly places. It talks about, it refers to the fact that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It refers to every single morning when you get up and you say, God, I'm going to live a life of worship. That the devil is standing there and saying, I'm going to oppose you as much as I can. I'm going to convince you that Mike has ulterior motives and that you can't trust him. I'm going to convince you that you can't really like him. That you can't walk together. Friends, God's purposes will be opposed. 
And that is why God, if you read the scripture on, if you read the scripture further, in verse 11 it says, This was according to the eternal purpose that was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only does God call the church to a purpose that is missional, that's going to be opposed, that's going to transform your life. But he does it and he makes full provision that it is possible. It is possible for us to live the life. It is possible for us to be the church that God created, that God spoke out to be. Now the question that we have to ask ourselves in our Christian culture is, are we still serving the same God of the Bible? Or did culture over the past two, three thousand years since Jesus was on earth, did culture change God in a way that we just package him a little bit differently, we present him a little bit differently, and, and we cannot expect of him to do the stuff that he promised in his Bible. Friends, we're still serving and worshiping the same God that still does miracles. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of, uh, of testimonies. There was, a, there was a young man in our church in, in, in Pretoria, whilst we were staying there, Came to church one morning, a friend literally dragged him. I don't know how he got George to church. <coughs> and George had a story. And I can tell you the whole story. I can tell you the fact that George was addicted to heroin. I can tell you that he, was, he visited the best rehab facilities in Gauteng four times to get rid of his heroin addiction. And that morning, a sermon was preached. I can't remember the sermon, but I can remember the result. And remember, George said, man, I need to give my life to Jesus. And as he walked forward, he prayed a prayer. No one knew about it. He just said, God, if you can, if you can, if you can save me from this addiction, Lord, Father, I want to live for you for the rest of my life. He was part of my connect group in about three, four months in. I can remember one connect group. It was 5.30 in the morning, Pretoria, and it was cold. Okay, we're sitting 5.30 in the morning. And I can remember Willem Adavir walked in, and then George walked in, and we just sat a few guys around the table and we just said okay fine what did God do in our lives over the last couple of months and George started testifying of the fact that he never had withdrawal symptoms after he got saved he said he had four rehabs he said it's one of the most painful things to rehab from heroin addiction God healed him from heroin addiction without any detox symptoms I said, George, what is the biggest thing that changed in your life? And listen, this will break your heart. This will mess you up. He said, Mike, I'm leaving work earlier. He's a very clever man, very successful in his industry. He says, I'm leaving work 4.30 in the afternoon. I leave work because I, I love spending time with my wife and child. And I never had that when I was addicted to heroin. Because a heroin addicted person never wants to show himself to people that he loves because he just hurts them. Don't tell me it's a different God that we serve. How can we, treat the, how can we treat the church of God like this sterile little place where people go and get their religious fix once a, once a week? Church is glorious, friends. And I tell you, I don't care about what the devil will bring. The church is still the church. And God is still the same God. And His purpose has never changed. It's the same as what it was to the Ephesians. Now I need you to skip a few slides to the slide that says three types of people. So now we spoke about the church. The thing that I want to continue on is for those of you who did victory training and for those of you guys who, who, who's, who's, who's working through 
What does it mean to live for God? I want to show you what the Bible says about the three types of people. And you can assess yourself and, and it's, 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 it's a moment where you can just look at yourself and you can say, God, where am I with you? All right, there's, the Bible talks about the natural person, the fleshly person, and the spiritual person. I'm just going to highlight that to you. If we look at the natural person, the scripture there is 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. And the reason I'm talking to you about the type of people is because if God places you in the church, God has a plan for you to be a spiritual individual that understands Him. But let's just see what happens and how people's lives transform slowly but surely. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, But people who aren't spiritual cannot receive the truths from God's Spirit. It is foolishness to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand this, what the Spirit means. Do we understand that natural people who's never had an encounter with God, for them the gospel makes absolutely no sense. And when we judge them according to the way they act, we expect a spiritual response from a natural person and that's not reasonable. So what is our job? Is to work with natural people and to help them see that there's a spiritual dynamic to them that will give them life. You can go to the picture. I really hope. Go on further. This is not my creativity. So, Okay. Sorry. All right. Oh, nuts, Yandri. I'm sorry. If you can get back to that picture there. I'm just going to stop talking about that. Right. And then just go one further. And then the maniki is on the. Oh, golly. <laughs> go back. Natural person. Okay, that's natural. Stop. Don't do anything. Okay. <laughs> I hope you guys can see this. All right. Yamri, thanks. Yamri, I give you so much grace, friend. But friends, this is a picture of the natural person. Do you have your life? You have your priorities, and you're on the throne in your heart of your own life, and you define what happens in your circle, and what is not in your circle, you will not allow to come close to you. And you might know about Jesus. You might even be born in the, in, the, in the most religious Christian culture that you can think of. But Jesus is not in your circle. And you cannot relate to him because the, the natural person, according to this scripture, does not understand the spirit. But then there's a moment where God comes into your life and he might use someone to, to drag you to church or to pray you into church. Or I don't know exactly what he does. But the whole idea that God has for you is He wants to awaken your spirit because you are spirit, soul, and body. Let me take you to the next type of person. Then we're going to talk about the fleshly person. Okay. That's 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1. The fleshly person. Look at the progression. The natural person is someone who has no spiritual life in him. Then 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1 talks about the person who has spiritual life, but he's struggling to understand God. And many of you guys might feel that way. Yes, I've given my life to Jesus, but how do I walk with him? I'm struggling to understand him. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1 says, But I, brothers, it's very important, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. As infants in Christ. So what is written here, what Paul is saying here is, but brothers, what is he saying? He's speaking to the church. 
He's having a church meeting in Bombela. It's he's, he's like a clump means he's so. Many of them say, I've given my life to Jesus. But I struggle. If I ask you, what is God's plan for your life? You can ask. I think it's good. I think God loves me and he has planned for my life. But there's nothing more because you're a fleshly believer. And there's nothing wrong with that. We don't expect of Eli Dalso to start walking around here and to be on the hosting team. He's 11 days old, man. Be reasonable. Mila, just chill, man. I said, I come. Okay, now I'm messing. We don't expect that of, of him. There's nothing wrong with being a fleshly person. But friends, when you step into a relationship with God, there's everything wrong that in three or four or five years from now, you are still a fleshly person. You still struggle to hear God's voice. Because there's a promise in the Bible that says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. If you are a believer, you, your birthright is to hear the voice of the Father in heaven. Of having moments where you know God has spoken. And it will be defining to you. Because I tell you, one word from God can change the rest of your eternity. You look into people, you look into magazines, self-help things, websites, this, that and the other. To direct you. And I tell you, the place where you find that voice is when you bow your knee and you just say, God. I really struggle to understand your voice, but will you speak to me? Will you teach me how to hear your voice? Friends, that is the greatest privilege. And God is destined. We're talking, remember, we spoke, we started with the purpose of the church. And the purpose of the church will only be fulfilled if the people in church start finding their place. If Almira and me say, man, I'll hook, let's hook in together, let's walk this journey together. God said to me, this is it, and, and, and we're going. And it, it's amazing how God's voice will just synergize in the church. That's where unity comes from. Okay, now we're going to prank you, Andre. Alright. This is what the fleshy, fleshly person's life looked like. I hope you guys can see this. But you're still on the throne, but you've asked Jesus to come into your life. Okay, that's a fleshly person. That's a fleshly believer. Jesus is part of your understanding. He's part of your life. You call yourself a Christian. But you still define the way you live your life. And friends, just hear me now. I'm going to say something controversial. For a season, for a young Christian, that is okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. God wants to lead you further than that. He wants you to become a spiritual person. Next slide. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 15 to 16. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things. But they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Now you invite God into your life. You invite him into that circle that you call life. And you read your Bible and you hang out with other believers. And all of a sudden there will be a moment where... where I spend time with Ronaldo and Ronaldo says to me, Mike, have you ever considered this aspect of who God is? And I'm like, I've never considered it. I want to start doing it. The people that's going to get baptized, you know, we, we walk with them and we say to them, God, God calls you to baptism. Oh, I never understood that. And you, you, you engage with God's plan 
And all of a sudden, God changes you from a fleshly believer to a spiritual believer. And what is the blessing of a spiritual believer? They can evaluate all things. What does it mean to be able to evaluate all things? It means that you have the substance of looking at life and saying, that works. And it lines up with the word of God. God, you are worthy and you are true. Okay, that doesn't work. That is not God. If I live my way, if I live my life the way that the world defines it, it doesn't work. You can evaluate things. And you can get to a substance of truth and conviction about how to live your life. Spiritual people evaluate their lives in the right estimation. Uncle Floyd McClung tells the story about reaching out on the Cape Flats and and they, they led a, a young girl to the Lord. I told this yesterday in, in Making Disciples. They led a young girl to the Lord. And Uncle Floyd and Auntie Sally took her into her house. And they discipled this girl into how to becoming a spiritual believer. How to becoming a spiritual person. And two, three years into her salvation, this little girl came to Uncle Floyd. I don't know if you guys know, Uncle Floyd is, is, is two point, I don't know how much meters he used to be. He's not doing well anymore. He's really struggling on, in his health, but Floyd was two and a half, ach, not two and a half meters, that's quite big, hey? <laughs> 2.1 meters, looked like Vian, big guy, and he said, this little girl came to him, and she grabbed him by the hand, and she said, Uncle Floyd, God gave me a country's name, and I must go there as a missionary, and Floyd, being the missionary of missionaries, he said to her, I'm not going to allow you to go there, because if they catch you, they'll kill you, they'll behead you, and he said, it was the most humbling moment, as a leader. He said, this little girl looked him, she grabbed his hand and she looked him in the face and she said, Uncle Floyd, I thought you told me that this gospel was worth dying for. And he said he went through the turmoil, but he released her and they, they prepared her as a ministry and they sent her to this nation. And he said a year later, he was standing by a grave doing her funeral because they did catch her. And they did behead her. Glorious. Friends, you know what the, the blessing of maturity in Christ is? Is you have the ability to evaluate all things. And you can, measure the, you can measure the importance. You can measure that the eternal is more important than the temporal. If they kill me, it's fine. That is what mature spiritual believers do. And I tell you, if you don't have people like that around you, you better get them. You better get them. You better get people that stand in your face and say, no, I'm not going to allow you to live that way. It's too cheap. It's too cheap and I know the end. Young men, young women, don't live cheap lives. Don't bend the rules here and bend the rules here because it's easy and it might be fun for a second. Because you know the end. If you have people around you that's got the guts enough to step into your face and say, stop that. It'll lead you to becoming a spiritual person. Let's go to the picture of a spiritual person. Alright, a spiritual person is someone who puts Christ on the throne of his life. Okay. Um, Janri, stop it now. Gaan terug, dankie. He wants to throw me off my track. <laughs> Alright. 
This is, it's a picture of an immature spiritual person. But you know something has changed in this guy's life because all of a sudden Jesus is with him on the throne. And he has, a, he has the ability to listen to Jesus more and to consider his life more according to Jesus' estimation of what his life should be like. Okay, now the next slide, Yandri. I did these PowerPoints. You need to forgive me big time and pray for Yandri more. All right. Okay, can you see the cross is growing? The cross is growing. Jesus is becoming more of a, more of a, uh, a priority in this guy's life. Next slide. And the greatest place, the greatest place of freedom that you will find is the day when you get off the throne of your life and you put Jesus on the throne of your life and he becomes your Lord and your Savior, not just your Savior anymore. Because up to that point, he's just your Savior. He's saving your stuff in your way of living. Now, God gets on the throne and you stand and you say, God, whatever you say goes. And friends, that is the spiritual life that God calls you to live. Because when that happens, you start putting, you can start seeing what I try to explain here is the blue things is the world's priorities. But then slowly but surely, God will start bringing in his priorities into your life. And he will start prioritizing you. He will say to you, I care about your relationships, but I will put it in the right place. Where's that slide of that quote of ordering your love? I'll just read it to you. Ordering of love's priorities. St. Augustine said this, It seems to me that it is a brief but true definition of virtue to say it is the order of love. If you want virtue in your life, you need to order your love, you need to order your loves aright. You need to make sure you love the right things in the right order. If I love Linda more than what I love God, my order is not right. Because then I will expect of Linda what only God can give me. If I love my bank account more than I love my wife, I will expect from my wife what only my bank account can give me. Friends, this is there's such a truth here. When we become spiritual beings, we start estimating love and prioritizing love correctly. Spiritual growth is the process of ordering your love's priorities. And I tell you, you need people around you to do that. That's where spiritual family comes in. That's where loving brothers comes in, loving sisters come in. That's where victory training comes in. That's where connect group comes in. Because you have people around you that say, man, let's live for the honor of God. And then, lastly, I want to end off with a scripture again. Ephesians 3 verse 8 to 12. Paul's writing, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the ruler's authorities in the heavenly places. Friends, the type of church that will change the world, the type of church that will reflect God to the world, is a church that is filled with people that says, I might be immature, but I'm growing into maturity. I might be natural, but I'm growing into becoming a spiritual person. And there's a loving God in heaven that says, I will walk the road with you.
not about the speed of your growth. It's the direction of your growth. That's important. Friends, God is gracious. I can tell you, listen, my dad is here. If I give him the mic and I tell you, I'm going to me to say, part of my glitches, part of my issues. I think my dad will be able to keep you busy for at least a week. Right? <laughs> my attitude problems, the times where, where I did things that was just not, just didn't line up. In those days, he was still using a, a lot. That was one way of discipling someone. But friends, praise God for a father that was willing to slowly but surely walk with me through things that I needed to understand. That I didn't understand at the moment. But he helped me to. And I tell you, look at me, believers. If we want to be a church that fulfills the purpose of God, we need to line up and we need to say, God, help us by your Spirit, Father. Loving Father, I do not know how to hear your voice. Would you please teach me? And then you go to someone like Almiro. You go to someone like Mila. You go to someone like, you just, Yandri, and you just say, how do you hear God's voice? And they teach you, and together we then grow into a church that can reveal the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and the powers, to the rulers of this world. And multitudes in Nelspot will get saved. Multitudes in Nelspot will get to a place where they say, I'm willing to accept Jesus into my circle. And then you walk with them, and then I'm willing to receive Jesus onto the throne of my life. And then the glorious moment where they say, I'm willing to get off the throne of my life and to allow Jesus to be the king of my life. That's freedom, and that's a church that will change the world. I really hope this helps you. Let us pray together. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for this moment. Father, as a church, we, we look at your plans and your purposes, Lord, that is that was revealed in Christ's life. We, we look at your purposes, Father, that, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for to give us the, the substance to be able to make what you've called us to make, to be what you've called us to be, to fulfill what you've called us to fulfill. Lord, and we bow humbly before you and we say, Father, we need your, we need your help to become those types of people. Father, we want to be a church that fulfills and that reveals you to a city, Lord. But I know, Father, you are working on individuals. And friends, some of you might look at these circles, and the first circle is, you know, okay, fine, you've never had a moment where you said, Jesus, would you just come into my life? Some of you might look at that and say, yes, I've asked Jesus to, to come into my life. He is in the circle, but he's not on the throne. And this morning is a moment where God is just saying to you, I want to be on the throne. And I'm gracious enough to be on the throne with you for a season to help you. Friends, we want to pray with you and we want to help you and we want to walk with you to get that done. And then there's some of you, you've even asked Jesus to be on the throne of your life. But currently you're just at a place where you're struggling to get off the throne. And you're struggling to make him the Lord of your life. He's the saviour of your life, but he's not the Lord of your life. Now I want to say to you. If you are in any one of those groups and you know you need to respond to this, I want to pray with you. And in
in your heart. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands, but I want to ask you that honestly before God, you will say, God, that is me. I'm in circle number one. I'm in circle number two. I'm in circle number three. So just between you and God, take a couple of seconds and I ask you to pray and to speak to God about it. You are in circle number one and you need to ask Jesus to just step into your life. Step into that circle. I want to pray with you right now. You can pray after me. Father, I want to ask you to come into my life. I want to ask you, Lord Jesus, that you will be my Savior. And that you will help me to hear your voice and follow you. Today I receive you into my life, Lord. Become my Lord, lead me. In Jesus' name. To those of you who know that you're on circle number two, your prayer goes something like this. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Would you take control of my life? Would you define the way I live? Would you start reprioritizing my things that you may be seen through? To circle number three, you just need to say, Father, You've changed my life. You've been so good to me. I'm making you my Lord. From now on, nothing is outside of your control. There's nothing that you can ask me to do that is not reasonable. Be the Lord of my life. Father, as we pray through this, Lord, as a church, we submit to you and we ask, Father, make us a church. Join us together as men and women that can reveal your manifold wisdom to the world. 